If we were to normally do a study of Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, our major focus would be on the conversion of Saul. And certainly we are going to look at the conversion of Saul, but we're going to look at the other person of interest that's in that story. And rather than taking the story of Saul and focusing on him uh, as we normally would, the Holy Spirit this afternoon, is, as Jeremy mentioned, will be on Ananias. So the Holy Spirit presents to us this afternoon Ananias. Now, we know the story about Paul or Saul at the time that he was on his way to Damascus. He was on that road, and Jesus appears to him in a bright light. It blinds him, and he says, Who are you uh, to the Lord? He calls him out, Saul, Saul, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. I've always had trouble with that word. Nazareth is the way I want to say it. Nazareth. Uh, and so uh, he come, he's confronted with Jesus and who he is, the one he'd been persecuting. And so uh, Ananias is just out living his life. And the next thing we know, uh, we're introduced to him. So unbeknownst to him, all this was happening to Saul. So let's start off, first of all, with who is Ananias? Acts chapter 9 and verse 10 says, a certain disciple named Ananias. That's who he was. He was just a certain disciple. You look out in the crowd of people who followed Jesus, he was just your average face. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't an elder of the church. He wasn't even a deacon of the church that we know of. He just was a regular Joe Blow Christian guy. That's who he was. Just your regular average guy. And yet, Jesus had a task for him. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So Jesus then gives Ananias a task. Just your regular guy, doing his thing, sent out to talk to Saul, who would become, as we know, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the letters of the New Testament. Ananias is an important person to discuss. So he's asked to do this. I want you to know something today. You may not be an elder or an evangelist or a deacon. You may just be an average Christian, and your job is no different. Jesus said to the disciples at the time, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matt talked about this morning how it's the mission of the church to preach the gospel to every creature. And it can't be on the limited few. <coughs> if the job of preaching the gospel was limited to the 11 disciples that were left from hearing what Jesus here had to say, we probably wouldn't know one another. We probably wouldn't be here today together. It was important for those apostles to pass that message on to others who would pass that message on so that nearly 2,000 years later, we are here together because of the gospel. Because someone preached the gospel to us. And so we need to be willing to go out and preach the gospel to others as well. So just as Ananias was sent to preach to Saul, you are called and you are being sent to preach the gospel to the lost. And there's going to be people that you know that others won't know. So the only way that there can be any influence whatsoever is going to be incumbent upon you to do that. 
You're going to have to be the one to step up and say something to someone. To preach to them. Because it's your job. It's your duty. And it's important to do that. Because we want Christianity to grow. We want more people to be saved. And it's going to be necessary for you then to do that. So who is Saul? So he gets told to go to Saul. Well, we read about Saul earlier than that. We read about the stoning of Stephen. And how Saul was there collecting the coats of those who were going to throw these stones at him. Basically, his job was to make this uh, stoning as potent, as powerful, and as hurtful to Stephen as possible. You know, I've played sports before, and when I'm just out there in the yard and I'm throwing a football, I, I can pretty well throw a football pretty decent. I'm not saying I'm great at it or anything. I was a center. I wasn't a quarterback, so I can throw the ball between my legs much better than I can throw over my head. So there's that. Uh, but when you put the pads on, there's a restriction that happens. That's why you see quarterbacks that have pads that only go out to about right here because it's restricting to try to throw. It's no different for those guys that had these long robes on. It was very restrictive for them to throw. So they take their outer garments off. They lay them at the feet of Saul so that Saul can watch over them so that they have all the power that they can get into those throws. And Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. He was the one behind it. You know, the church scattered in Acts chapter 8 because of Saul. Because he was persecuting the church. He was taking people who were Christians and claimed Christianity. He was putting them into prison. So God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go talk to Saul. How do you think Ananias responds? How do you think you'd respond? Just like Ananias does. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. Are you sure you want me to go do this? <clears throat> I, I don't know. Wouldn't we be afraid? If I knew that I had to go talk to someone who was intent on killing me, I don't know. It would be very difficult to go talk to him, wouldn't it? That's what Ananias knew. He even knew that the chief priests had given him an authority to go out and do this. He had the backing of the entire Jewish religion. And he had the money to do it from the Jewish religion. They were pushing this to happen. And he says, you want me to go talk to him? I don't know. <laughs> We'd be fearful, wouldn't we? Ananias had to be. But Jesus tells him, he says, I've got a reason that I want you to go talk to him. You know, there's lots of reasons that we might give that we're afraid to go talk to someone about the gospel. We might, we might be afraid that they're going to ask us something that we don't know. Let me tell you from experience, someone's going to ask you something that you don't know. It's just going to happen. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Just be diligent about going and trying to find the answer. So we're afraid of of not having an answer. There's other things that we're afraid of too. One of the things we're afraid of is that's not really the image I portray. It's really not about the person, about the other person, how much we care about them. But how can I preach the gospel if I don't live up to the gospel? Well, something's wrong. <laughs> you, 
you need to fix something in your life, but also understand that you're not going to be perfect. And the people you go talk to are never going to become perfect either. When we try to start uh, preaching to people about perfection and being perfect, that's when we need to recognize that we're not perfect. But when we are preaching that we're imperfect and therefore we need Jesus, that's the story of the gospel, isn't it? I'm imperfect, therefore I need Jesus. We can preach that. And we can live up to that. We can let our conduct, as Philippians says, be according to the gospel. And we can live up to that. So sometimes we're afraid of putting off an image that maybe we can't hold up to. Other times we're afraid of, well, I just don't know how. And the reason this guy is blindfolded is because there's no excuse for you not to know how. I can make that excuse and be afraid I don't know how because I don't know how, but I can only do that for so long if someone's willing to show me how. And I'm, I'm going to make this real simple in just a moment, but let's move on to the next thing we're afraid of. This is, this is a big one. They're not going to like me. I'm afraid of what it's going to do to our relationship. If I talk to them about Jesus and they reject Jesus, they're in effect rejecting me. And if they're going to reject me, then I, I can't risk that with our relationship. I'll just keep doing what I do. You know, here's the thing about that. What if they do? What if they do accept Jesus? What if they do obey the gospel? You know what that does to your relationship? It only gets stronger. It doesn't get weaker. It gets way, way better. So we need to get over that fear. But one of the easiest things I think we can do to get over the fear, I'm going to simplify evangelism to some degree. And it's really asking someone a very simple question. Do you like to study the Bible? We live in the Bible Belt, and I know that uh, that Bible Belt may not be around much longer. Uh, that's okay, because it really doesn't matter, but because it doesn't really matter how they answer. Most of the time, though, people are not going to admit that they don't like to study the Bible. <laughs> Most of the time, they're going to say, yes, well, I do like to study the Bible. So what's the follow-up? Hey, me too. We ought to get together and study the Bible. You can do that. You can do that with anybody. You may not even have to conduct the Bible study. There are men and women here who could help you with making that happen that you can sit down with somebody and invite your friend to a Bible study. You can do that. Do you like to study the Bible? What if they say no? Oh, really? Why? And then you can go from there and you can talk about why they don't like to study the Bible and change their mind about, why, about studying the Bible. Say, well, why don't you give it a chance? Why don't we just sit together one time and let's talk about the Bible for a little bit. Just do a little Bible study. See where it goes from there. If you don't like it, well, we'll stop. One, one question. Do you like to study the Bible? It's not hard. It's not fearful. If they say no, they continue to say no. Okay, you move on. Nothing harmed. That's the simple way I know how to do this. So <clears throat> Ananias then is, is given that instruction, and, and he has to overcome his fear. We have to overcome our fear. And here's how we overcome that fear. First, our 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 10, he tells us that everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when doing so, we'll answer for the things that are done in the body, whether good or evil. He says, knowing, therefore, 
therefore the standing before God in judgment, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what he's saying there. He says, we know the terror of the Lord. That's the fear that we ought to pay attention to. Because if we don't say something to them, they're going to face the terror of the Lord. That ought to compel us. I've been using that word a lot today. That ought to compel us to preach the gospel. Not fear of what might happen to our relationship. Not fear of not knowing the right exact answer at the right exact time. Not having a fear of... It's having a fear, a genuine fear of what is going to happen to that person if they don't know Jesus. We know that terror. We know what that looks like. That's eternal condemnation in hell. That's the terror. That's the fear that ought to motivate us. Not keep us from doing it, but motivate us. And so Ananias then is going to put himself into the Lord's hands. And that's exactly where he ought to be. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and, and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And he says, And lo, I am with you always. When we go preach the gospel, we have Jesus right there with us. And even if it costs us our life to do that, Jesus is with us. He's going to hold a hand through it. All that means is we get to see him sooner. <laughs> Let's embrace this idea of what, uh, uh, what could happen really to someone else is more fearful than what could possibly ever happen to me if I go and preach the gospel. It was a risk. It could have been a risk for Ananias to go and preach the gospel to Saul, but Jesus said, go ahead. Go do this. I'm with you. And he's with you too when you go and preach the gospel. So he went to him and he says, and he preaches the gospel to him. He says, you are chosen. You are a chosen vessel for this. And in chapter 22, he says, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord is to appeal to God's authority. When someone says, I come in the name of the king, they're saying, I'm coming on behalf of the king and his authority. So to call on the name of the Lord is just to appeal to God's authority to wash away sins. And that's what baptism is. We're saved by the blood of Jesus, Revelation 1 and verse 5, but we access that blood in baptism because of the authority that Jesus gives the water. It's his blood. And so he tells them to call on the name of the Lord in such a way. Now, in Romans chapter 10, he tells us there in verses 13 through 15, he says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But how can they call on his name in what they've not believed? And how can they believe in what they've not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? For a preacher must be sent. So we're going to do that a little bit in the reverse. We have the preacher that's sent... And when he's sent, he is sent to preach. He's to preach the gospel. When the gospel is preached, it's for others to be able to hear that, to respond to that hearing in faith, to call on the authority of God or appeal to his authority in baptism. For what end? To what end? For what purpose? To be saved. 
If you want to end this process, all you have to do is not preach. You have been sent. We've all been sent to preach. But if you stop preaching, then no one will hear, no one will call on his name, and no one will be saved. That's what will happen. The church will die. Now, Jesus really won't let that happen. <laughs> Some, but we, we've got to step up. We've got to go out there and preach because if you don't do it, how can your neighbor hear? How can your coworker hear? How can your, your fellow student hear? How can they be saved if we don't speak up? And to do that, yes, it may mean that we overcome our fears. But that's, we need to recognize proper fear. So, if the Holy Spirit were to write about you and say something about you, would he confidently write this, that you, this is your mantra, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Could that be said about you? Or do you hold the gospel back? You may not be ashamed of the gospel, but you might be afraid of what the gospel might do to you if you preach it to others. Recognize his power Overcome your fear, recognize true fear in that person being lost for eternity and preach the gospel to him. That's the message I have for this afternoon. If we can help you in some way, encourage you, strengthen you through prayer, if you need to obey the gospel, if you need to call or appeal to God's authority in baptism, we certainly stand ready to assist you. Whatever we could do to help you. And I want to encourage you to go out and preach the gospel. And if we can help you in doing that, please let us know by coming forward and sitting on the front as we stand and as we sing.